Good morning. Everyone can hear me okay. Uh, my name is Mike Williams. I'm one of the elders here at the Orchard. Uh, it's my pleasure to be bringing you the message today. Um, also, welcome to those of you who are watching online. Uh, a special shout out to you. Uh, let me see if I can get this to work here. Ah, okay. I do see some uh, comments here. Good morning, Mary and Deborah. Jane, it's great to have you here. Chris, uh, and I do not have YouTube up. If there's anyone else out there watching, uh, welcome. It's great to have you. Anyone that uh, watches after the fact, we are so glad you decided to tune in and check us out. Uh, welcome. So, uh, this morning, uh, as I begin, I, uh, I want to start with a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Holy Lord, You made heaven and earth, and You made us, Lord. To You be all glory and all honor. Lord, open our ears this morning to hear Your words for us. And Lord, may I decrease so that You may increase. Use me, Lord, to speak Your truth. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. That was uncomfortable, wasn't it? You're like thinking, okay, first of all, apologies to those watching online. No, your audio did not cut out. That was me. That was on purpose. That was uncomfortable. What was so uncomfortable about it? We, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to stay quiet. Okay, this is actually kind of funny. I'm giggling now. What, what was so uncomfortable? Exactly. You didn't know what was coming. You didn't know, you know, was I supposed to be doing something? Yeah. Was I having a stroke? Yeah. You know, was something wrong with the sound system? Someone yelling at me in the back? You know, you didn't know the expectation. And I think there's something even simpler than that. Waiting is hard. Waiting is hard. It's, it's something I know I don't enjoy doing. Uh, I don't enjoy going to the SOS office to renew my license. You know, I think we can think of a million things we'd rather be doing than uh, you know, going to the SOS office. Uh, that's the DMV for those of you who are not in Michigan watching. Uh, uh, waiting is not comfortable. So, uh, in today's story, we're going to be looking at the book of Ezra. First chapter. That's on page 407. If you uh, are using one of the red chairback Bibles, um, as Pastor Nathan likes to say, if you don't have a Bible, please take one of the red Bibles with you. Uh, we want you to get into the Word of God and the Word of God to get into you. But uh, to set the stage for what we're going to be looking at in the Scripture today, the Jews were in exile in Babylon. They've been waiting a really, really 
long time. They've been there almost 70 years, as foretold by Jeremiah. Waiting's not easy. You know, and you were sitting there probably thinking, should I say something? What should I do? You don't know how to respond. You don't know, you know, like Steve said, what the expectation is. What should I do? You want to do something, right? You don't want to just sit there. You want to take action. Well, how can we as believers get through and endure waiting when it's out of our control? You weren't in control. I'm the one up here with the microphone, right? You didn't know what I was going to do. Keel over, tell a joke. You know what? How can we as believers endure waiting when it's out of our control? So I'm going to start here. Ezra is uh, in your Bible right after First uh, and Second Chronicles. It's one of the last uh, narrative, uh, so-called narrative books in the Old Testament. Um, starting with verse 1, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout the realm, his realm, and also to put it in writing. So hold on, before I get into what he actually proclaimed, there's a few things to unpack here. We've got some characters. We've got Cyrus, king of Persia. Uh, Jeremiah is mentioned. And you know who is the decree uh, directed to? We'll see that here in just a moment. It's to all the people, but specifically the Jews that were held in captivity in Babylon. Um, so to set the stage for this, I need to kind of give you uh, a whirlwind, you know, just to set the context. Uh, whirlwind uh, history. 500 years of uh, the Israelites in two minutes. Uh, don't set a timer, but I'm hoping I can do it. Uh, so back during King David's reign, there was one unified kingdom, and everyone was happy. Well, most everyone. Uh, you know, David died, and his son Solomon took the throne. You're all familiar that Solomon was very wise. He was also very wealthy. And you may not know this, but later in his life, uh, his many wives from other nations, turned his heart away from the Lord. And the catastrophic consequence of that is after Solomon died, the kingdom split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Well, the northern kingdom had mostly evil rulers doing what was wrong in the sight of the Lord. And they were destroyed by the Assyrians after uh, a period of time. Judah in the south uh, which is where Jerusalem is. Um, Judah had a mixture of good rulers and not so good rulers. They persisted longer, but eventually the Babylonians captured Jerusalem under Nebuchadnezzar, and off the Jews went. They were deported to uh, Babylon. So, 70 years they wait in Babylon. That brings us to this point. So that's 500 years and two minutes. I don't know if you timed me or not, but hopefully this sets the stage. There's been a lot of waiting. You know, who is this Cyrus guy? And uh, let me just uh, verify my notes here. I was going to try to do it without my notes, but I guess I can't. Um, 
you know, how can we as believers endure waiting? Could we could you wait 70 years? I mean, that's three generations. The Jews who are still in Babylon, there might have been a few that and there were a few that actually remembered the temple in Jerusalem and what it was like before Nebuchadnezzar burned it down. But almost everyone there was born and raised in Babylon. They don't know, you know, they haven't experienced their heritage back in Jerusalem. Um, Cyrus is quite an interesting character. King of the Persians. Um, Drayton, will you go ahead and put up the slide? Um, this is an artist's depiction of the city of Babylon. And I'm going to try to just point at this. I know for those of you that online, I apologize, but there were uh, walls around the city. It was heavily fortified. Uh, there was a main gate near the top of that square area, uh, which uh, the, uh, the gate there is called the Ishtar Gate. I don't know, uh, historians don't know if it was ever scaled or breached. Um, but uh, they, uh, they found it and archaeologists have begun to excavate that site. Uh, the point I want to make here is that Babylon was virtually impregnable. They had fresh water because the Euphrates River was flowing through the city. They had stockpiled years of food. So if Cyrus was going to come in and take over Babylon, he had a tall order ahead of him. But Cyrus was a crafty guy. Cyrus was a lot of things, actually. Uh, but he was a uh, brilliant military tactician, or he had uh, smart people working for him. They uh, got into the city by diverting the river upstream. And so, lowering the water level, troops were able to just march right into the city through the damp riverbed. So I show you this, oops, I show you this so that you'll understand you know, uh, Cyrus is an outsider. So imagine if you're a Jew living in Babylon during this time. Things are out of your control. You've been waiting for 70 years. And now, thanks, Drayden. Now, uh, here comes this foreign invader. You know, what's going to happen now? You know, is it going to be better for us? Worse for us? Imagine, you know, of course, this was written many years later, but imagine how the Jews must have felt as Cyrus got closer to the city. They don't know what to expect. How can we as believers endure waiting when we're not in control? Let's continue reading and see what Cyrus actually did. He took the city in 539 B.C. He, uh, a year later, issued this proclamation. This is, what, this is a verse 2. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a, a temple for Him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of His people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. That's uh, verses 2-4. through four. Like I said, Cyrus is an interesting character. Uh, I think there are a couple of other observations we can make from this. 
Uh, he was certainly big uh, in his own eyes. I think he maybe was a little bit of a narcissist. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. Ugh. Really? No. 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 I, I don't think we have to look very far to realize he's overstating the case here. Uh, to build a temple for him. And any of us people may go, which is good news for the Jews. Yay, we can go back if we want to. Uh, the God of uh the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. Is God only in Jerusalem? Well, of course not. We know Yahweh God is everywhere. Cyrus expresses this as a pagan. Pagans in this time, the Babylonian times, and, uh, and earlier too, uh, frequently believed gods were only at one place at one time and you had to build a temple to them or a structure. And uh, that's kind of creeping through here in what Cyrus is saying. Oh, well, Marduk is here in Babylon, but uh, Yahweh, he's over in Jerusalem and we're going to build a temple for him there. So Cyrus is really betraying that he doesn't understand who Yahweh God really is. Um, and may their God be with them. Did you catch that? The third person? He's not identifying. He, he said earlier, you know, the Lord has given me all the kingdoms, but then he's saying, may their God be with them when they go. So I think he's a pretty good propagandist trying to take advantage of the situation to make himself look good, not only in the eyes of the Jews, but the other folks that are in Babylon. Uh, Cyrus was a conqueror, and uh, one way conquerors can keep people from rebelling is to throw them a few crumbs, and uh, I think that's exactly what Cyrus did here. I think he wanted to keep the people happy. I think in addition to being uh, pretty clever militarily, I think he was a consummate politician. I think he'd fit right in in the swamp in Washington. One other thing, you know, as I mentioned, he really doesn't understand who Yahweh is. Uh, it's pretty clear from some other archaeological evidence, like the Cyrus cylinder, that uh, Cyrus the Great was a very comfortable polytheist. In other words, he worshipped many different gods. Um, you know, I mentioned Marduk earlier of the of the Babylonians. Um, but uh, I, I really think he didn't have any uh, religious preference. Uh, he probably had a coexist sticker on his chariot. I'm serious. In, in Babylonian. Uh, or Aramaic. Um, so, how do you think the Jews felt? Okay, this strange conqueror comes in and okay, he's decreed that we can go back. Not helping us financially, he's saying, hey, your neighbors can raise a fund for you. Yeah. Give you some sheep, some cattle, silver, send you back. Are you happy? Are you 
a little distrusting maybe. I, I, I'm speculating here, but I would think after 70 years of waiting, the Jews are probably not jumping for joy, but they're really kind of a little bit skittish about it. Everything you've been waiting for is finally happening. Is it too good to be true? You know the old saying, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. That's timeless wisdom. Let's see what happens next. You know, how can we as believers endure waiting and waiting when things are out of our control? Verse 5, Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold with goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts, in addition to all the free will offerings. So, there are some Jews who decided, all right, we're going to go. Not explicitly mentioned here, implied in the text. It says, everyone whose heart God had moved, is that some people didn't go. Some people stayed. Now, I imagine after 70 years in Babylon, they might have gotten comfortable, put down some roots, married some non-Israelites. It's really hard to move when you've got roots. Besides, it moving stinks. Anybody like moving? I don't ever want to move again, honey. Sorry. I don't ever want to move again. We have too much junk, okay? Yeah, it's not up to me either. Um, I remember eight years ago. Eight years? Am I doing the math wrong? I think, yeah, eight years ago when uh, we decided to move here from North Carolina. A long way from our family. All the rest of our family was in North Carolina. Uh, It was winter here. I mean, kind of crazy to move here. And we couldn't take possession of our house just yet. Thanks, Scott and Jill. Uh, We uh, lived in a hotel for about two weeks until we were able to take possession of the house. Uh, For those that aren't uh, chuckling, uh, it's because we bought Jill and Scott's old house when we moved up here. And that's how we met them. And that's how we came to be part of the orchard. Uh, Long story. Um, But yeah, living in a hotel room for two weeks with two middle school boys and just a tiny stovetop and a microwave. Hamburger Helper was pretty good on those cold winter days, but moving's not fun. There's so many logistical things you have to do. And just when you think you've taken care of everything, there's something you forgot. So moving was a big deal. It was a big decision now, and it had to have been a big decision back then. You know, I've waited all this time. Maybe we just stay here. Probably some of the Jews thought. Now I think also with the uncertainty, not knowing whether Cyrus is really benevolent or is he playing the Jews or, you know. You know, I have to, I have to say this. Uh, I'm grateful to God that 
he delayed my sermon a week so that this could be more on point. But uh, I think about what our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine are going through right now. You know, I don't think it's a direct comparison, but you know, think of the uncertainty that they are facing with an unknown invading force coming in. Who knows what Putin wants or the Russians want or what they're going to do to the country and what it's going to mean you know, for individual families personally. What's going to be lost, sacrificed, changed. Um, a great time of uncertainty. You know, we should all be in prayer for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. Um, but that's just you know, kind of a taste of what the Jews must have been going through at that time. How can we endure waiting when it's out of our control? None of this was in the Jews' control, right? Cyrus came out of nowhere. They were in captivity. Cyrus decided, okay, now you can go. Oh yeah, I'm not giving you anything to help you, but go raise your own money and your neighbors can help. Okay. How can we endure waiting when things are out of our control? Well, let's continue reading from verse 7 through the end of the chapter. Moreover, King Cyrus... Okay, so this is after Cyrus decreed. The families responded and started probably loading up their camels and their belongings. Something happens to King Cyrus here. Maybe he had a second thought. Or uh, was going to add an addendum to his decree. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. Cyrus, king of Persia, had them brought by Mithridath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. This was the inventory. 30 gold dishes. You can see that in your Bible. Listing of the implements, gold and silver implements that were found. In all, verse 11, there were 5,400 articles of gold and silver. Shesh Bazar brought all these along with the exiles when they came up from Babylon to Jerusalem. So in Cyrus's decree, he said, okay, go do your own fundraising. Talk to your neighbors, you know, put together some money, you can take that with you. You know, take some supplies for your journey. But Now, here in verse 7, we see King Cyrus is like, okay, fine, open the treasury and give them back their gold and silver that was used in the temple worship. What changed? Did something change his mind? Let me ask you this. If you're filing your tax refund, by the way, use Patty. Talk to her. You're filing for your tax refund. You, you're supposed to get $2,000. Are you just going to like let it slide? Eh, I don't need to file this year. That's nodding. Yeah. Thank you for being my foil. Um, uh, no. If you're owed money from the government, you're going to claim it, right? 
Okay, what, flip it around the other way. Suppose you owe two grand on your federal return. You're just going to like, eh, Uncle Sam will never miss it. You know, they're printing trillions anyway, right? So they're not going to bother me. They're not going to shake me down for my two grand, right? No. They will come after you for pennies, dollars. The government is going to get every dollar, every penny that belongs to them. At least that's the way it is now. Um, do you think that's really changed over time? Do you think conquerors give away the treasures that they capture or collect them? I'm speculating a little here because you know, we are talking about 2,500 years in the past. But don't you think it's really strange behavior for a sovereign monarch to just say, okay, fine, take the plunder with you. To just give it away. I mean, that would be like you walking away from your tax refund. It's really out of character. So what happened to Cyrus? By the way, the uh, implements that they're talking about here um, are described near the end of Exodus. Uh, the first mention of the uh, implements that were used in the tabernacle. Uh, and then I can only imagine that during the time of King Solomon, when they actually built the temple, that there were probably a proliferation of a lot more of these fancy gold and silver implements. Um, why would he be doing this now? I can only think of one explanation that makes sense. I'm going to do this again. It had to be God. It had to be the hand of God. If you go back, and I would urge you to do this sometime this week, just it, it's only 11 verses. Go back and read Ezra chapter 1 sometime later this week. But look for mention of God. You know, at first sight, and when I was preparing the sermon, I looked at this and I thought, oh, this is a story about Cyrus and the Jews and Mithridath and Shesbazer is in there. I still can't say his name right. Um, but, no. If I go back and look a little more carefully. Of course, all this was recorded after the fact. It wasn't recorded in real time. You know, They didn't have CNN back then. Um, there was plenty of fake news though. Um, plenty of propaganda. Um, if I go all the way back to verse 1, in order to fulfill the Word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. Here's another homework assignment. Look at Jeremiah chapter 25 and you'll actually see where he, uh, in Judah, at the time when uh, Nebuchadnezzar's closing in uh, and is uh, already starting to uh, deport the Jews, uh, Jeremiah prophesies this is going to last 70 years. And then Babylon will be destroyed. 
So the Lord spoke of it through Jeremiah 70 years before. The Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia. They couldn't have known that in real time. But the author is saying, after the fact, after we've documented this history, it was the Lord who moved the heart of Cyrus. How can we as believers endure waiting when things are out of our control? We can endure waiting when all these circumstances are out of our control by remembering who is in control. God is sovereign. And God is in control. He was there 70 years before. Had it all planned out. The punishment for Judah's sin and rebellion was 70 years in time out. The punishment for Babylon's uh, decadence, debauchery, and idol worship was destruction at the hand of Cyrus. God was in control. And God is in control in the Ukraine right now. God is sovereign here, Grand Traverse County, right now, February 27, 2022. He always has been and always will be. And God is sovereign in your life right now. God was sovereign in my life last week. Oh, I guess week before last. You know, uh, you know the story. Uh, I was supposed to preach last week. Kevin preached instead uh, because uh, I had to have my appendix out. Let me tell you, that was uh, quite an experience. It was a lot better after the surgery than it was before. But uh, yeah, I didn't sleep at all Wednesday night that week. Um, had pain, went to the emergency room, and I waited there. You know, they check you in. Okay, we'll take your blood pressure, pulse. We'll get some blood. Go sit here and wait. And wait. And wait. And I had mostly sketched the plan for my sermon by that point. And I'm in a lot of pain. Andrew can tell you. I'm sitting there. You know, you know how in the waiting room, uh, in a lot of these places, not just at the hospital, but other places, they'll have some chairs are like single chairs and others are like double wide or whatever. Um, so we, we sat in one of the double wide. Uh, Andrew was over here and I'm kind of like sprawled just any position just to try to get a little relief from the pain. And uh, she can tell you, I just, I couldn't get comfortable. I was fidgeting. I tried to like doze off. No, the pain was just too much. Lord, why? Why am I having to sit here and wait? And it was over an hour just in the ER waiting area before they finally... Why, Lord? And then I remembered God is sovereign. I may never understand why I had to have my appendix out. Why I had to go through that pain. I may never understand this side of eternity. But you know what? It's okay. Because God is sovereign. God is sovereign in my pain. God is sovereign in your pain. And His grand purposes span 
all of time. The entire arc of history in the Old Testament reveals God's plan to bring forth a Savior, Jesus Christ, who would be born in Bethlehem in a lowly manger about 500 years after the events we just talked about. He's the sovereign King of the universe. And without Him, we don't have any hope. And I would just challenge and would ask if there's anyone here who does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Please come forward during the song and I'll pray with you. Because without Him, we have no hope. And how miraculous is it that the sovereign God controlling events, using pagan kings, loved us so much that He would send His Son to die on the cross, to pay the atoning price, rise again, rule at the right hand of God, and want a relationship with each of us. Who's in charge? Even during periods of silence, God's in charge.